Hey guys, this is Billy Hansen, and welcome to the Lynchburg Neighborhood Podcast. This is a podcast about the Lynchburg area, its people, and its history. I found that the more I get to know my neighbors, really get to know their stories, and the more I understand the history and the backstory and how things work here in Lynchburg, the more connected I feel to this place, and the richer my life becomes. So join me in exploring the Lynchburg neighborhood. Today is August 21st, 2019, and it is great to be alive and living in Lynchburg, Virginia. Up here on Mimosa Hill, the big thing is back to school, uh, which is always a little bit of a bittersweet time. Um, You know, you're excited for the new school year, but it's also sad to see summer come to an end. Um, The kids are getting prepped, they're getting ready, they're trying to get their school supply list with all their pencils and folders and binders and oddly specific items that they've got to have. There's also a little bit of nerves and uncertainty. You know, who's your teacher going to be? Are your friends going to be in your class? Um, And all the things that come with it. But this year, I have a little more awareness about what some other kids in our neighborhood and in our community might be wrestling with or might uh, have some uncertainty or some nerves or some fear about. Earlier this year, I met Judy Brooks, and in one of the earlier episodes, I said one of the big goals for this podcast was just to go find people in our community that are quietly awesome, and Judy just fits that to a T. She is an amazing person, and um, the work that she does is she works with homeless students within the Lynchburg City Schools. She is a resource and an advocate for them. And that's her full-time job. There is enough of a need that they have someone full-time working with homeless students and their families. And so I sat down with her, and she told me about the work she does and what those students are facing, and really just kind of opened my eyes to what some very young kids in our community are dealing with. And I think it's important for all of us in the community to be aware of the work that she does and the needs that she's trying to meet. Here's my conversation with Judy Brooks. All right. Thank you so much for meeting with me. Thank you. Um, Could you tell us just your name and what your role is with the Lynchburg City Schools? Yes, I am Judy Brooks, and I am the Lynchburg City Schools Homeless Education Liaison. Okay. Now, what does that mean? What does that What does that involve? Okay. The Homeless Education Liaison, primarily, every school division nationwide is required to have at least one identified individual as a Homeless Education Liaison. Yeah. Lynchburg City Schools is unique in that I am the only, this is my only responsibility, which is to work with homeless um, youth and their families. And the primary responsibility of the Homeless Education Liaison is to receive referrals of suspected homeless or displaced students, Mm -hmm. um, to have regular contact with our shelter staff um, in identifying students. And once we identify those students, we, if they're not enrolled in school, we help facilitate their immediate enrollment in Mm -hmm. school. Um, We want to provide them transportation to either their zone school or their school of origin, which is the school they were in when they were first made homeless. Um, So that way we're not disrupting their education throughout the school year. Um, We will provide them um, food 
uh, breakfast and lunch at school. Um, and we also serve as an information and referral source for parents. Mm. So if parents do need shelter or referrals for housing, um, we will assist them with that. Uh, we will assist their children by providing them with clothes, toiletries, school supplies, the things necessary um, to support their education here in the division. Wow. Now, so that's a mandated position. Yes, it's but federally mandated. What's unique for this one is it's not an attack on to your another role. This is you do it full time. This is my full time responsibility. Yeah. Um, it's a federal federally mandated position. Okay. Um, that's identified via the McKinney-Vento Act. Yeah. And for example, in surrounding jurisdictions, you may have a student support specialist or a special education director who is also responsible for mm. homeless education services. Whereas this is my primary responsibility, 40 hours per week. Wow. So how long has that role existed? Um, the role has existed, to my knowledge, since the implementation of the McKinney-Vento Act, okay. and the McKinney-Vento Act was first adopted in 1987. Okay. So not a lot of people know that this has existed since the Reagan administration. Wow. So, so how long have you been doing it? I have been doing this position uh, since December of 2016. Okay. And it's now what 2019 so just about three years yeah. and um, I am the third division homeless education liaison that they've had in Lynchburg City yeah. so what's a typical day like for you I wish I could <laughs> say that there is a a typical day um, I typically arrive um, between 7:30 and 8 in the morning um, the first thing I do is I will check my voicemail messages to determine whether or not I've received any new referrals from um, either families in the community. Oftentimes I may get referrals from one of our shelters, for example, Hand Up Lodge or Salvation Army or the Domestic Violence Prevention Center, letting me know that someone has arrived over the weekend, overnight, um, that type of thing. I try to stay at the office um, for at least an hour, hour and a half at the beginning of each day um, because I also get referrals from the schools. Mm. So a student may come in and reach out to a teacher or a guidance counselor or a school social worker to say, you know, I'm late because we didn't stay home last night. Mm. And I like to be available so that if we do get those referrals, I can immediately go ahead and make the referral to our transportation coordinators to coordinate McKinney-Vento transportation for those students. Or if a student has you know, been absent for a few days from school and word on the street is that they're no longer staying home but we have a lead on where they are, mm. I try not to do too many home visits, um, but Unfortunately, it's sometimes required because the, phone, the family may not have a telephone um, or if the child's not at school, I don't have access to the child. So mm -hmm. I will also set aside time during the day to either do shelter visits or home visits to make that contact with a family that may not have a telephone so yeah. that I can determine whether or not they're eligible for McKinney-Vento services. Yeah. Um, the remainder of the day is primarily just general case management face-to-face -face contacts with families, face-to-face -face contacts with students, um, 
referrals for new transportation arrangements or referrals for tra transportation changes, um, that sort of thing, picking mm -hmm. up materials and supplies that the children may need um, to get them through their school day. Um, information and referrals, sometimes we'll have families that you know, either need to access emergency shelter, so I make myself available to assist them with making those referrals to yeah. homeless intake and access, or if they are in a doubled up situation where they're sharing housing with family members, yeah. we still want to help facilitate that contact with homeless intake because we may be able to divert them from homelessness, but give them some prevention services so that they mm. don't find themselves without a place to stay. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm picturing now that like it, it can probably be challenging to leave work at work because you can't really control at what time someone is in crisis or a referral comes in. Is that a, I think personally that's a challenge, that, like that, checking your email or your yes, voicemails at yes. night or. That is a fair assessment. Um, however, I work very closely with our Central Virginia Continuum of Care. Yeah, okay. And one of the things that we work really hard to do, um, not just at the beginning of the school year, but throughout the school year, is providing professional development for our school faculty and staff so that they too know who our community partners are. So we are giving them the information straight out of the gate and throughout the school year of, okay, dur during the hours of, you know, typical school hours, okay. if someone needs emergency shelter, then this is how you access coordinated homeless intake and yeah. access. Outside of regular business hours, you can contact Hand Up Lodge right. if you need emergency shelter. If you're a victim of domestic violence, you can contact the police department, or this is also the hotline number for the Domestic Violence Prevention yeah. Center. Um, and it's it, you are right, it is difficult at times when, for example, you know a family has been displaced, but mm -hmm. you don't have a current lead on where they are. Yeah. And for example, you, you do find yourself wondering, okay, it's gonna drop below freezing tonight. Has the word gotten out there that yes, emergency shelter is open if you need heat, or you know if that shot if school has been canceled that day, do they know you know do they have the food that they need at home? Do they know that they can access emergency food yeah. at one of their food pantries? Things like that. So mm. it's, it can be trying at times, but that's where the case management comes in. I try to build a relationship not only with the other practicing professionals who's, who are coming into contact with the kids, but also to treat the family and students the way that I would expect to be treated yeah. if in that position, so that they're comfortable with calling me and saying, okay, I'm without food, what do I do? I'm without you know, winter coat, what do I do? Mm. I'm without shelter, what do I do? And they typically know to call me here mm. uh, during school hours. So, mm. so you've mentioned uh, McKinney Vento a couple of times. Yes. So what exactly, that, that's what the position comes from, but what is the law and what does it mean for, for students? And, okay. And um, I will give you the Reader's Digest version. Sure, I'm that's good. I'm not going to give you the actual legal definition, but um, <laughs> the McKinney Vento Act um, by design protects, I like to use the word protects. Mm. Um, it protects those students who 
for lack of better words, lack a permanent fixed residence. When the law came into action, it was in, in large part because, for lack of better words, the homeless student is kind of nomadic in that they move often. And legislatures were hearing the word on the street, if you will, that these kids were, having multiple, were either missing school or having multiple school placements. Mm. And the purpose of the law is to say, hey, this is a circumstance beyond this child's control. The child does not have a permanent fixed place to stay, usually due to economic hardship. So rather than this child bouncing from one school to the other and losing valuable instruction time, the law says that this child has the lawful right to remain at his or her school of origin, which is the school that they were in when they were first made homeless. Mm -hmm. And it then becomes that division's responsibility to help transport that child to their school of origin and to make sure that they are immediately reinstated or re-enrolled in school um, and can continue their education there. And what the McKinney-Vento Act, this is where I like to say the word protection again, is that oftentimes these families you know, if they are escaping domestic violence or they have been evicted or by some natural disaster they've lost their housing, they may show up to us with nothing more than the clothes on their backs. And typically to enroll in school, a parent will need to bring a birth certificate, proof of custody, academic transcripts, mm -hmm. proofs of, Lynchburg City Schools requires two proofs of residency. Well, when our McKinney-Vento students are showing up, those parents aren't going to necessarily have those things. Mm -hmm. Historically, if you didn't have those things, you weren't permitted to enroll in school. Mm -hmm. The McKinney-Vento Act provides that protection that says, hey, if you're showing up and you don't have those things, that's okay we must enroll your child in school. So we will go ahead and have the parent enroll their child in school, sign the releases, fax that to the sending school, get the transcripts, and then we try to have the student start, if not that same day, then the next day that mm. they've been with us. So that's the McKinney-Vento yeah. Act in a nutshell. And the McKinney-Vento Act also provides a unique definition yeah. for, um, we try not to use the word homeless often, um, but their definition of homeless um, in the McKinney-Vento Act includes children who may be in emergency shelter, um, students who may be, um, for lack of better words, street homeless. They may be living in cars, parks, public places, places not typically approved for habitation. Mm -hmm. Um, but the McKinney-Vento Act also includes students who, due to economic hardship, are forced to have to live in a hotel or motel or um, be doubled up or sharing housing with friends or family members. Um, we also refer to that as couch surfing. Hmm. Um, they just lack a permanent fixed residence of their own, to call their own. Okay. So that's the definition and of, of homeless form. It 
to meet the McKinney Vento. And I, so, what is the word you use if you don't use? Home, do you, I've heard you use displaced. I, I'll use displaced. Yeah. So a the, lot. those are interchangeable. Those are interchangeable. Okay. Um, as a matter of fact, the McKinney Vento Act, for a long time, was referred to as the Homeless Education Act, hmm. um, and then it became the McKinney Vento Act in the last couple of years, only primarily because a lot of our as humans, we are a prideful bunch, sure. and to be referred to as homeless can be demeaning right. to some. So, for example, when I will reach out to a parent, I will say, okay, I need to determine whether or not you're eligible for protection under the McKinney-Vento Act. Can you tell me where you stayed last night? Mm-hmm. Were you in a hotel? Were you in a motel? Were you in a shelter? Um, those type of questions so it's a little less less offensive if you will yeah than referring to them as as homeless sure mm-hmm. it, so it focuses on where they stayed the question rather yes. than who they are some sort of quality about exactly. them, right like it's exactly just a factual question where did you stay last where night? did you stay last night yeah. what were the circumstances that led to you you know staying with relatives staying in the hotel yeah you know, staying at the shelter, that type of thing. Okay. So with that definition, which is a little bit broader, it seems, than maybe like what Miriam's house gets to work, you know, yes. on who gets services. Mm-hmm. But I guess that's because we're dealing with students and this mm-hmm. is a specific Very much group. so. Um, um, for example, your Miriam's house um, or any of your HUD housing and urban development recipients, they will primarily focus on the... Um, those folks who are in emergency shelter mm-hmm. or those folks who are street homeless that's kind of they they just have really those two i mean sh- emergency shelter street homeless maybe de- domestic violence whereas our definition you're correct it's it's a little bit broader so that we can cover a larger segment of students so with that definition we'll get to my daughter's two questions mm-hmm. so how many uh homeless or displaced students do you have in the school system? Yes. Currently, of our active students, we have 189 identified this school year, and that's more than 20 more than we had identified last school year, sadly. Wow. Okay, one quick note. This conversation was recorded in spring of this year, so any stats are for the 2018 to 2019 school year. Okay, back to Judy. Um, but the the one positive, I know we're, we're working to end homelessness here in the city of Lynchburg, and many of those families have been diverted from our emergency shelters, and I will say that the majority of the students that qualify for McKinney-Vento protection are in large part doubled up or sharing housing, so they're not street homeless or in emergency shelter. Mm. 189 this year. So that's elementary, middle, high, it's K through 12. Um, mostly. And this year we've also made an effort, more of an effort to identify preschool students mm. as well. So for example, we may have uh, in that list, we've included um, some pre-K students who are receiving their pre-K services through Lynchburg City Schools. So they're at Hutcherson Early Learning Center, one of our other pre-K programs. Wow. 
Okay, so we've got kids from preschool to, to seniors. To seniors in high school. So you identify them as homeless. What happens next? What do you What do you do when you? Um, well, first and foremost, one of the first questions that I before I even get to the school piece is where are you staying? Right. And if they don't have shelter, then my first contact, or at least my first referral for them is to homeless intake. Let's find out whether or not we, there's space in emergency shelter, you're eligible for emergency shelter, that sort of thing, if they're not housed. If they are housed, then my next contact is with the school to say, FYI, um, I'd like to refer to them as my handle with care. <laughs> FYI, this student is currently enrolled in your school. They're living outside of the attendance zone and I will make a referral for transportation services. Um, those transportation services sometimes can take several days to coordinate, unfortunately, especially if it's an out of zone placement. For example, and when I say out of zone, I like to clarify you know, that's an example I will give. It might be a family that is zoned for Bedford Hills Elementary School, mm -hmm. but they are currently at Salvation Army, which yeah. is zoned for R.S. Payne mm -hmm. Elementary School. So we will then have to coordinate a Lynchburg City school bus to go to Salvation Army to transport that child to their school of origin daily, which is on the other side of town. Um, so that's one example of the first things that I do. Yeah. Um, the next thing that I will do is reach out to school nutrition services. Mm. Um, although the majority of our schools in the division, most of the students receive free lunch, we also like to make a direct referral for our McKinney-Vento students. One, that's one less piece of paperwork mom and dad have to fill out to receive the free lunch. And because they are McKinney-Vento eligible, um, the federal government guarantees that that child is going to remain eligible for free breakfast and lunch through the remainder of the mm -hmm. school year. Um, we'll ask the parents, do the children have the school supplies that they need? Um, if they don't, I keep a closet here where I keep school supplies, I keep extra clothes, extra shoes, extra underclothes, um, mm. in addition to your typical backpacks and papers and pencils and things like that. Yeah. A large part of my day is paperwork. Um, we want to make sure that we are, are, are checking the McKinney-Vento box um, on our Infinite Campus portal um, so that our school division has an accurate count of how many students are in the division. Um, and then of course if they're not enrolled in school, um, there are sometimes if the parent doesn't have access to transportation, I will give them a ride to the school to get their students enrolled in school. Yeah. Um, and then we go from there, wait for a bus and yeah. off we go. Yeah, the scope of McKinney-Vento, it's actually in the grand scheme of what homelessness looks like in our city, McKinney-Vento is probably the tiniest. It, the scope of McKinney-Vento is really small. Yeah. It's to keep them in their school of origin, help facilitate their school enrollment, provide the information and referral as necessary, and, and yeah. go from there. And it seems like the, the key is, is in how quick 
and complete that response is, right? Absolutely. So nobody goes overlooked. Absolutely. Because you've got other services that you're going to refer to, but if that part of identification and quick response, if you don't get that part, yeah, it's I mean, that's of, what you guys are... Yeah, that's, that's what we're here for. And yeah. in terms of soliciting that quick response, that's where it becomes very important. Um, a portion of my work, again, is not just to the, to the youth and their families, but also to our school bus drivers to our attendance office staff, to our school nurses, yeah. um, primarily because those are the three categories of people that are probably going to be the first ones to know that or see the red flags that yeah. a student may be homeless. For example, we will train our, uh, throughout the year I will do different training throughout the school year for our bus drivers yeah. to um, teach them that, for example, if little Johnny's stop is here mm. and you're noticing that little Johnny's mom or grandma is driving up behind the bus from a different direction every day, that's usually a good indicator that little Johnny may be displaced. Sure. Or if, you know, another one of your, we'll train our front office staff that, you know, if a student's coming in um, and mom is either requesting an address change or she's frequently asking for bus passes at a different stop location, mm -hmm. that's probably a red flag. And when I say red flag, I usually urge them to give me a call um, and then I will reach out to the parents and as tactfully as possible ask, you know, say, I've noticed that, you know, your student has arrived late several times to school. Um, is there something that we might be able to do to assist you with transportation? Is there a reason why, you know, why he's not getting picked up at home or why you're not asking to be dropped off at home? Um, just, just as, and you have to flesh that out by family sure. just to kind of figure out which route should I go or our school nurses, we've taught them that, you know, if someone's coming in new to your school and they don't have the immunizations or you receive that record and see that they've had multiple school placements, then this may be a McKinney Vento eligible student. Will you give us a call hmm. and we'll reach out to that family? So. Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about how a bus driver, I mean, they could be a great mm -hmm. uh, person to identify and kind of pick up on it because yeah. they have a normal routine that's every day and when every something's day. different, it's different. like, hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And then that could just be a, a lead for you to Absolutely. follow up on. Hmm. Absolutely. So without, I, I don't want any sp specifics on any one case because I know that that's not appropriate and I wouldn't want that. But can you give an example of what an instance of student homelessness might look like or what? Uh, yeah, I can give you a couple. One of the most recent ones we've had, or one of the more common ones that I typically see, and that's why we always... Ask, ask ourselves, is this person displaced due to economic hardship? Economic hardship usually means that the, the youth and their family, they've been evicted from their home due to non-payment of rent um, over the course of several months. I do get a lot of those. We will try to, if we find out early who they are, uh, we will try to 
assist them in accessing services, hopefully to prevent their homelessness. Um, but unfortunately, oftentimes by the time it arrives to me, they've already gone to court or missed going to court and the writ has been served yeah. and they now have 10 days to find somewhere else to go, um, which usually means either emergency shelter or doubling up with friends or family members. And if they are doubling up with friends or family members, I'll come back to what I said about doing the home visits. Personally, I enjoy doing home visits. That's my wheelhouse. Mm. However, oftentimes I've learned here in the city of Lynchburg is that if a family has been evicted, again, the largest number of our McKinney-Vento students are doubling up. Um, I have to tread softly because oftentimes they're doubling up with other families or individuals who are receiving, they're living in public housing or receiving some sort of rental subsidy and technically they're not allowed to have someone else stay with them for more than a night yeah. or two. Otherwise then they become at risk of losing their housing. So I will typically try not to show up on that person's doorstep asking too many questions for fear that if management finds out that the homeless liaison is here to visit with a homeless family in this apartment, I've now not only jeopardized the housing of the person who's had to move in with that friend or family member because they've been evicted, but that family also becomes at risk of being put out on the street. So hard. Yeah. Because they're nice. helping. They're helping. But their own housing, which they need. They need. If they're in public, you know, that's the yes. thing that uh, need mm -hmm. that they have. So, mm, um, that's yeah, so that's that's one of our, our common, our, our common cases. Um, another one um, that we oftentimes, that I oftentimes see are our unaccompanied homeless youth. Mm. Um, unaccompanied youth usually means it's a child who is living somewhere without a parent or legal guardian to care for them. They may be staying with a friend, but they also may be staying with grandma or aunt and uncle. Um, oftentimes I will see where a parent has been evicted or been incarcerated um, or is receiving uh, inpatient treatment of some sort. Um, and as a result, they've had to place their child for safety reasons or, you know, because they don't have a permanent place to go, they then place that child with a friend or family member while they're taking, you know, they're taking care of business, but that the person they're staying with does not have legal guardianship or custody mm -hmm. of that child. And so, the McKinney-Vento Act does tell us that if that child first meets the definition of homelessness, mm. lacking a permanent fixed place due to economic hardship, and are unaccompanied, then they too are eligible for our services in the school system. So I would say by and large, most of what I see it's due to eviction or some sort of economic hardship that has resulted in the family being displaced and that child having to stay with relatives usually. Yeah, yeah. eviction is a, uh, I was meeting with Jeremy White at mm -hmm. Legal Aid and we were talking yes. about eviction and he said that's one of his top issues and mm -hmm. sometimes it's justified and it goes through the right process but mm -hmm. his one of the big issues for him is unlawful evictions yes. where 
and he just it's a very disruptive event in a family's life mm -hmm. yeah, um, it's very very traumatic for and I would imagine with kids and schools and yeah it's it even sounds, more complicated yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah one of the things and you know with a with a social workers background I kind of tend to be more trauma focused mm. which I think makes me a little bit more empathetic to the students yeah. and oftentimes the children that we are seeing it's not the first time that they've been in a displaced situation yeah. you know it's not the first time they've come home from school and found out that they have been evicted yeah. and that is very traumatic for our students um, which is why we also try to provide as much wraparound services as possible um, which is where, you know, participating in the continuum of care. Yeah. It's been, been beneficial because we do have access to folks like Jeremy, um, to Horizon Behavioral Health. Um, and then I'll serve on several other interdisciplinary teams throughout the division. You know, I'm working closely with the truancy officers and, you know, I can let them know, let's handle this one with care because this child has been displaced yet again mm -hmm. type of situation. So I, it gives me the opportunity to be a little bit more empathetic and err on the side of the child because they, they really don't have any control. Yeah. And um, eviction seems to be, I can't say that I can identify any sole source for why we have the numbers we have for Lynchburg City Schools because it's not solely eviction. It's not solely substance abuse. Um, it's not solely lack of, you know, employability or employment services. There's many, many things, but I can honestly say that many of the students come to us due to eviction, which is in large part due to, you know, the parents are saying, we just can't find an affordable mm. place to live. And, you know, if they do, um, they can only maintain it for a few months at a time. Um, and this time of year is a good example of, you know, once the W-2s start coming out, some of our fa families are finding themselves, oh, we can get back on our feet and get caught up with, you know, or some of the evictions are the result of because their utilities have been cut off. I've had families that leave their homes because their utilities have been cut off. And so they're staying with relatives or they're staying in a hotel or motel to stay warm and have access to, you know, showers and things like that. Yeah. Well, if they spend that money on the hotel, then they're not able to spend that money on rent. And so it's kind of like a never ending cycle, yeah. if you will. But this time of year, we will typically see fewer people get referred for homeless prevention because they are getting their tax returns and they're able to either go into another place or get caught up on back rent. Um, but unfortunately, some of them, that will only last three to six months and then we'll, we'll be right back in the same situation. Hmm. Um, which brings me to another thing with regards to the eviction. Um, we try to, if we can catch them early and get them referred to homeless prevention, especially our families who are receiving a rental subsidy, um, we like to do that. Um, and they may not necessarily end up on our McKinney-Vento caseload, 
because the fear or concern is that if they get evicted for not paying what nominal amount they owe per month in rent, if they get evicted and lose their subsidy, it may take years to get them back, to get that back. And so we're actually seeing, I'm seeing kids on my caseload in 2019 that were kids on my caseload in 2016, 2017, because mom or dad or whomever they're staying with just, you know, they've already got a judgment against them. They've already got an eviction against them. And unless they find a private landlord that's willing to rent to them, um, they are really struggling to find adequate housing mm. here. Yeah, that seems to be one of the recurring parts of the story is, is you know, spending time at the housing authority, they have a huge waiting list mm -hmm. for public housing, a huge waiting list for Section 8, and both the lists are typically closed. Mm -hmm. And they take years to work through. Absolutely. So even if you got on the list today, you're years away from getting housing that you can afford. Absolutely. So in the meantime, you're in the private market. Yes. And a lot of issues that I hear is that you, with the budget you have, you're accepting substandard housing. Absolutely. Housing that you wouldn't choose, but it's what you can afford. This is what you can afford, exactly. And I'm curious if you see that on your home visits where somebody's making it work because they can't get in any housing that is subsidized, mm -hmm. and it's, but it's, it's substandard. It's a, it's a roofer. And yes, we do. Um, one of the great things about the McKinney-Vento Act is um, we, the McKinney-Vento Act basically runs from the first day of school into the last day of school for each academic year, mm -hmm. which means that if you are identified as homeless or McKinney-Vento eligible at any time during that school year, you remain eligible through the remainder of the school year, even if you become permanently housed. And so for, for me, oftentimes what will happen is I will get a call from a parent or guardian saying, good news, we've been permanently housed, will you uh, change our bus stop? And so I will go ahead and enter the paperwork to change that bus stop, but I also like to show up just as a friendly face to say, hey, congratulations on the new house. And yes, I do see oftentimes that, you know, this is not where they would have chosen to stay, but it's more affordable than living in a hotel or motel. Mm. Um, they know that they can't continue to stay with relatives. And, you know, they've only been permitted to stay in the shelter for, you know, 45, 60, 90 days maximum until something else comes along. And, yes, they have had to mm. kind of choose to go where, you know, as long as it's past inspection, they've got lights, they've got water, they've got heat. Yeah. This is where they can afford to stay until hopefully something better comes along. And. For some families, something better does come along, but for some, yeah. they they stay there for the long haul. It, as far as definitions go, let's say someone's living in a home that's substandard and the water and electric are off, but they're still staying there. Would that fall under McKinney-Vento? Because I guess technically you're housed, but you're not. Yeah. I don't know, you know. Yeah, and talking, and, I've, and those, trying to best articulate that. Um, it varies. Yeah. Um, for example, 
if I come into a situation like that, I will oftentimes contact my state coordinator, Dr. Pop at Project Hope, which is housed at William and Mary um, University. And there have been situations that um, in reviewing the McKinney-Vento toolkit and staffing it with Dr. Pop, no, it doesn't rise to the level of substandard or that they've, they've become homeless. Um, we've had families that have continued to stay in their homes even though their electricity has been cut off. Mm -hmm. um, is it ideal? Absolutely not. And that would be a situation that we would, I mean, I've actually put people in the car and driven them around to Lynn Keg, Interfaith, Salvation Army, Thomas Road, St. Thomas More <laughs> going, what can we do to get this person's utilities turned back on? However, if for whatever reason, and we'll see this a lot of times, especially in the winter months, where you know we may have had a family's utilities that were cut off, but they were like, it's not cold, we're gonna stay here, we're gonna make the best of it type of thing, only to find that, ooh, there's gonna be a drop in temperature tonight, so in order for us to stay warm, we're gonna go get a cot at Salvation Army, we're gonna go stay with Grandma, we're gonna go stay in the hotel, the McKinney-Vento Act says if they have been displaced for their home, even if it's just for one night throughout the school year, then we can protect them under the McKinney-Vento Act. Um, so for example, oftentimes what I'll do is if we have exhausted um, all community resources and we're just not able to get their utilities turned back on, um, because oftentimes these are the same families who've already used that service before. Right. And most, you know, for example, Salvation Army or Interfaith, if you've used them once within that year, you're not eligible to use them again for another 12 months. Right. Um, if they have exhausted that resource, then we will reach out to Amber to say, hey, can they go to shelter? Um, and we have had situations where, you know, Chia has said, no, they don't qualify for emergency yeah. shelter. Um, but of course, the answer you get in October may be different in January or February yeah. when the temperatures drop, so. So, sorry, there's so many questions I have, but. Oh, um, I feel like I'm bouncing around. No, no, so it's great, it's like great. Um, so in my business and in most businesses you have, uh, in most fields you have kind of a calendar um, of things that happen every year. Like in mine, March and April and May, houses start selling, right? That's busy and August is really slow because everyone's on vacation and nobody's doing any work. You know, there's these seasons and December's always dead, right? Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you've, I didn't, we didn't talk about this before, but I, I wonder if you noticed like a calendar of like certain oh, yeah. times of the year things are busy and have you yeah, seen any patterns? A, I can't say it's a pattern or I don't know if I've been doing this long enough to say that there's a pattern. Um, but I will tell you, uh, my position is 227 days, 10 and a half months out of the academic year. And when I was first offered the contract, which was different than the contract I had before, I'm like, why do you have me coming back so early, was my first question. And then I soon learned that the end of July, from the very end of Ju about mid-July until probably the end of August. It's extremely busy. Um, 
because that's when we, we're just, our feet are hitting, we hit the ground running. Let's find out who was displaced over the summer, who entered shelter or exited shelter over the summer. Are they gonna be going to their schools of origin? Are we going to be immediately enrolling them in new schools? Let's see if we can get a school bus ready for the first day of school. So July to the, until I would say Labor Day are extremely labor intensive because we're doing professional development and we have feet on the ground looking for these families. Sure. Um, so that gets really busy. And then it gets quiet until about mid-October. And so someone asked me, what's going on in mid-October? And I said, that is when we typically have, I would say October, just after Thanksgiving and just after Christmas are really busy. And if you had asked me this two years ago, I would have just shrugged my shoulders and said, I have no idea. <laughs> but after doing this for a couple of years, I find that the majority of the time people are here in this area, whether it be Lynchburg, Campbell, Amherst, Nelson, Appomattox, they are very welcoming of their family and friends to say, hey, you're welcome to come and stay as long as you need until we have that first teacher's work day or that fall break, um, be it the, the um, intercession in October or the Thanksgiving break and certainly that long Christmas break because I think what happens is that they then have the realization of I've got how many people and children in this house and then they start to get kind of nitpicky with each other kind of like they've spent too much time together <laughs> and so it's inevitable whenever we come back after a long break it's usually very busy that following yeah. week because folks are like um, I'm not going to be able to stay with so-and-so yeah. anymore where can I you know can you send a bus to this location or this, you know, wherever they, yeah. they end up. Um, so it's not that people aren't being hospitable. I think they are. It's just that once they realize that they're rubbing elbows 24-7, that some people tend to, to wear out their, their welcome, Gosh. if you will. So that's like all families, right? When they yes. get together yes. for that long, it's absolutely. like, all right, we got it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's but those, interesting. Uh, th that's what I would say are usually our our peak our peak times yeah. the very beginning of the school year and anytime there's a long long break and then certainly of course about mid-January February when it really starts to get bitter cold outside or we see an increase in snow amounts mm -hmm. then we usually kind of we, we kind of pick up steam then too because folks are you know they may have been without electricity or hot water like it's going to be cold where yeah. are we going to go so when we talk about sort of the details and the services i'm for the student themselves i imagine being displaced kind of moving around and just working through all that how does that show up in the classroom what impact does that have i don't i don't have a lot of statistics yeah. on it only because that's not one of the things I'm charged with, but sure. occasionally we will see um, acting out yeah. behaviors in some of our students. 
and I'm thinking of one student in particular, we started seeing, and this is an example from last year, his behavior wasn't so overly blatant that it was not one of those situations that he would have to be removed from school, but it was certainly enough of acting out behavior that we couldn't, that the, the teacher was like, why, why is he doing this? Yeah. And, and that's where we work closely with their division case manager too. Um, because sometimes we'll see the acting out behavior and we'll want to ask, what can we do to intervene early? Yeah. And we reach, the division reached out to the parent, invited her in for a meeting, and there's just you know, a series of questions that we ask all parents. And, and through that series of questions, that's how the division first learned that they had been displaced for months. Mm. But she was afraid of, and that's one of the things we see a lot of times, parents and children are afraid to tell us that they're displaced for fear that we're gonna call DSS. And I'm like, being homeless is not an abuse or neglect right. <laughs> situation. Um, but we can certainly help you access services. And one of the things we learned with this particular child's acting out behavior is because he was he was never real didn't feel certain of where he was going to go mm. at the end of the day he thought that if he acted out during the day the school would have to call mom and if mom came to the school she would usually take him home with her mm. because she's paying someone to bring her to the meeting right. so he then used that to kind of almost manipulated yeah all of us because he's thinking at least if I'm with her I know exactly where I'm going to go yeah. at the end of the school day and that's kind of I would say an extreme yeah. example sure. I would say that one of the most common things we do see are that our homeless students are frequently the kids who are frequently absent yeah. from school and I don't I can't say if that was because that's because they're transient always are also, they're also the kids who are frequently sick mm. um, because they're not, and that's where Community Access Network and Johnson Health Center partnerships have been awesome yeah. because we're able to, you know, if they don't have Medicaid or if they're staying with, if they're doubled up with grandma because mom is displaced and mom's out looking for work or doing whatever, yeah. we can work with Community Access Network and Johnson Health Center to get that child the health care that he or she needs yeah hmm. so I would say before we met at the point in time count <laughs> walking around downtown yes. I would not say that this was even on my radar mm -hmm. like I was I was and I was someone who was interested in affordable housing mm -hmm. and the work of Miriam's house but the idea that there were you know so many kids who didn't have stable housing mm -hmm. in the schools what would you want you know uh, the people of Lynchburg to know about this problem the one thing I would want folks to know is, again, is just handle everyone with care mm. because I've come into contact with so many people that there's so many individuals and families in this city that I think back to the government shutdown, there were so many families that were just one or two paychecks away from becoming displaced themselves. So I would say there's no single cause to homelessness. 
homelessness does not look like one thing in particular. Mm -hmm. For example, me, the very first time that I saw what I considered a homeless person was years ago on a field trip to Washington, D.C. And at, right. in, in my mind, a homeless person is a person who's on the street. They're getting food from wherever they can find it. Yeah. But little did I know that homelessness could include that person not just in the park or the emergency shelter, but doubling up because of economic hardship mm. or, you know, living in a hotel or motel because you've lost your home. Yeah. Um, I will oftentimes ask when I'm doing the interviews is, did you lose your housing mm. due to foreclosure? Because we have had so many, I mean, families that for lack of a better word, were well off but then their hours got cut back. Yeah. Or, you know, one of the things I've learned too is that several of these families, they became displaced because of astronomical health bills. And so the one thing I would want, certainly for Lynchburg, I would like to see more affordable housing, but person to person, I would, if I could just sit down with everyone in the city and say, homelessness doesn't have a standard picture. It could be any one of us. Yeah. And again, it doesn't matter how affluent you are or not. It, it could be anyone in, in or around the city that yeah. could find themselves. I mean, it could be natural disaster. Sure. Um, we had families, you know, last year affected by the tornado. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the great things, again, the McKinney-Vento Act said, hey, if you lost your housing due to um, natural disaster, um, you are protected. We will transport you to your school of origin um, because that's one constant we can continue to provide for the students. And I can say since 2016, we've had you know, families displaced by tornado. We've had families move here from the southern states who were displaced by a hurricane. And you know, that's what I'd like to say mm -hmm. to the city. It could happen to any one of us, not just economic yeah. hardship, but weather related. Yeah. Let's say Lynchburg knows about this problem uh, challenge now, and then they know that, hey, it's not just one picture. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that we can do to help, like as individuals? I, I don't know. Um, Maybe there's not, but I've just... I'm one of those, you have to know the family I grew up in. There's always an opportunity to help in some way, some form, some yeah. fashion, no matter how big or how small. Yeah. Um, and I say how big or how small the contribution is, and I don't necessarily mean a financial contribution. Um, oftentimes, um, for example, there's a lady, she may actually stop by before you leave today. Um, several of our churches, when they find out that I get a grant, I can apply for and receive a grant, oh, that's a great thing. But then when they find out how small that grant actually is and, you know, how I have to divvy the money up sometimes to, you know, I have to stretch the small pot of money yeah. um, to serve a large number of kids, you know, folks will show up and they will donate uh, school supplies. Mm. Um, that's always a great help for McKinney-Vento students. Um, I have friends and colleagues that, you know, when they purge their closets over winter break or over spring break, they will, you know, call and say, Hey Judy, you got any room in your clothes closet? And um, I do keep 
a, a small clothes closet here um, so that in an emergency if you know somebody's showing up and all they have are the clothes on their back or you know we've gotten calls from schools that you know little Sally's had an accident we can't get a hold of mom what do you have in your closet that type of thing mm -hmm. so I do welcome especially in the winter months I welcome donations of winter coats <laughs> gloves hats um, that type of thing um, and I also not just to Lynchburg City Schools um, but you know I invite people go volunteer at your Salvation Army um, go volunteer at your daily bread go visit your I have a friend she shows up with her guitar and sings down at she's like I, I don't have anything financially to give but I can sing mm -hmm. and so she comes with her, her little boys are homeschooled and um, she'll bring them to Lighthouse and you know they'll sing cool. just to lift someone's spirits kind yeah. of sort of thing <laughs> um, from a division perspective I invite anyone from the community go volunteer at your schools yeah. because our goal for McKinney Vento is to school is the one constant we can guarantee for that child and oftentimes you know I'll tell folks one of my most prideful things is was serving as a room mother at my kids school because I did get to meet students who I later learned were displaced mm -hmm. or homeless but I was able to facilitate that connection and they remembered I remembered you reading that story to us I remember you know bringing that to the party because a lot of a lot of that child's growth and development is their memories from school and we want to create as positive an environment as possible because we've learned that if from pre-k to third grade that child has not learned to enjoy school then those are the kids that we tend to see on the truancy side of yeah. things. So, mm -hmm. um, like I said, you don't have to give money, just give time. Sure. And always advocate for more affordable housing. Yeah. <laughs> it's always a, a big, a big key. And just to, and sometimes it's not by giving or doing, but just being, I'd say one of the things that's made me cry the most <laughs> in this position has been the lack of empathy. Um, people have just gotten, and I think part of that's the advent of social media too, because I think people just, they feel comfortable in saying whatever they want to say without any fear or repercussions. But you know, when you hear someone say, oh, there's no food desert, or there's no transportation shortage, or there's no housing shortage, or ask the question, well, why isn't this able-bodied person working? I just have to say, once you, you, you have to work in Lynchburg to kind of know Lynchburg and surrounding counties, just be empathetic because what you don't observe on the outside, you have no idea what trauma or turmoil that person has, mm -hmm. is experiencing or has experiencing, has yeah. been experiencing, so. Yeah, that's yeah. so good, right? Because, yeah. I mean, that's your whole job yeah. is entering someone's story, Absolutely. learning about it, and mm -hmm. how do you impact it in yeah. some way. But once that's you learn their story, you know, yeah. it's, that's what they're lacking, right? Lacking, exactly. You're like, wow. They don't have the context of... Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm. And what, uh, what motivates you to continue to do it? What, what motivates me to continue doing it? Yeah. Um, and again, just it's probably way too personal. But 
I just remember growing up, my grandparents lived in this old farmhouse. I mean, they lived off the land, did not have a lot, but my grandmother always made sure that she would have food boxes for people or if anybody needed a place to stay, they were always welcome. Mm -hmm. And so every time I think about leaving this position, I think about this is something she, if she could have done, she would have done. And it's almost like I feel like I'm honoring her mm -hmm. memory by doing it. And I always get weepy when I think yeah. about leaving the position. Because um, I just, I keep saying, no, I'm gonna go take a position close to home Oh, but I'm not working with homeless families. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> and so here I am. So yeah. I so, love that. But yeah. What's a good day at the office like? A good day at the office. Yeah. Well, not to shoot myself in the foot, but a good day at the office is when you don't get a McKinney Vento referral. Sure. Because in your heart of hearts, you're thinking Praise the Lord, someone did not get displaced last night. Yeah. Or, you know, you'll see, like, over the weekend, I, I frequently get, I have my notifications for, like, new local news stories. Yeah. You know, I will see that, you know, there was a house fire on Pierce Street. And then you're like, okay, were there any children in that home? And sure. it's such a relief some days to come in and you learn there were no Lynchburg City Schools children in that household that yeah. were displaced yeah. by fire type of thing. So I would say that was, you know, that's kind of a given. You love the days that you don't have um, any new McKinney Vento referrals that you feel that you have to drop everything and let's, let's get, the, we can't have them go back to, you know, this cold house tonight sure. or go back to an unknown location tonight. But for the McKinney-Vento students, I would say a good day in the office is a day that you know that that child has come to school. They were there on time, so they got their breakfast. They were there, they got their lunch. They did not miss any instruction time. So they had what we would consider a traditional mm -hmm. school day. Um, I, I think of them in terms of the Air McKinney Vento students, I refer to them as our non-traditional learners because, you know, your typical learner, you know, they, they come from the same place. They don't have a lot of disruptions. They go to school. It's not traumatic for them to be in school. They go throughout their day. But oftentimes it's a pretty big deal for that McKinney Vento student to know that they made it to school. They were on time. They didn't miss any instruction. Yeah. And they know exactly where they're going to go back to at the end of the school day, mm. so. So one of the questions I've been asking kind of everyone is, what is their dream or their prayer for the people that they're, the work they're doing and the people they're serving, that are going through something hard, that they're helping them through? What is the, what do they dream for them or what is they, their prayer for them, right? Like, what do they want to see, mm. for, let's say the kids that you're serving that are mm -hmm. displaced? Yeah. Well, my most common prayer is always that of, especially for the kids in and around this particular neighborhood, my prayer for them is always that of safety. Because mm. um, a lot of times, I mean, 
there's some kids who typically see the same face every day, and then there's some kids who are not. Um, there's some kids who are looking for, how shall I say, love and affection in all the wrong places, and then the things that they equate with love may not necessarily be what I equate with love and affection, um, but I do pray for safety, warmth, and shelter. That's my, that's my, I think, the Lord, if he ever gets tired of hearing from me, he's going to say, Judy, please stop saying safety, warmth, and shelter. Um, the majority of them, yes, their basic necessities are, in fact, being met. Um, again, not ideal, but they're being met some way, somehow. But every night, especially on, you know, if it's like when we have the late winter break, we have that four-day weekend or as spring break is approaching or summer break is approaching, you know, I wonder where, where are they going to go? What are they going to do? Mm. If mom's got to go to work, where are they going to be? Yeah. So again, safety first, warmth, protection, food, mm. you know, I just want this basic, just the basics. That's all I hope for, for any of the, any of it. And that's the same for our parents as yeah. well. It's amazing how many of us like take that for granted, right? Like mm -hmm. safety, warmth, shelter. Yeah. And that's your biggest prayer for that is my the people you're serving. Prayer for them all. Mm. That's good. Well, yeah. thank you so much, sure, thank and I'm you. just so glad that you're doing this work. Oh, thank that, you. And not just doing it like going through the motions, but passionate about it. Yeah. And that you feel like it's your calling, and yeah. I mean, I feel like you're honoring your grandmother in yeah. such a cool way, right? Yeah, thank you. Thank you to Judy Brooks for being on the show and for the work that she does. I can't imagine a better person to fill that role with just so much heart and passion and empathy. I'm so glad that Judy's a part of the Lynchburg neighborhood. See you next time. <laughs>